This is Jose Marmalejos, senior multimedia producer for Skift. My colleagues here at Skift this week published The Oral History of March 2020, the month global travel shut down, a collection of first-hand accounts of that unforgettable and unprecedented month in the history of the travel industry. Reporters and editors spoke with people from across the industry, including hotel managers, airline network execs, local tour operators, event planners, a varied list that included Expedia CEO Peter Kern and the general manager of a Holiday Inn Express in Wuhan, China. In the following conversation, I'm joined by Skiff founder and CEO Rafid Ali, editor-in-chief Tom Lowry, founding editor Dennis Shaw, and Skiff travel reporter Lily Gurma to discuss the project, the stories, and their own memories of that fateful month. You can find the oral history now at skiff.com. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you for joining us today, everyone. Um, let's go ahead and just start off with a little bit about what this project is. Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, last fall, Rafid, our, our founder and CEO, um, uh, came up with this idea that we should do an oral history of March 2020, which was a, a seminal month of the beginning of the pandemic for the travel industry, because it was essentially when the travel industry completely shut down. Um, and we had had a history at Skift of oral histories. Uh, Dennis Shaw had done uh, some oral histories previously for us. So um, we knew this was a this was sort of in our wheelhouse in terms of an editorial project that, that we could um, uh, take on. Uh, so we began to to look at who we should talk to for this and uh, capture kind of the sort of terror and anxiety uh, and just that sort of that month of just unknowns. So um, you know we started doing interviews late late last fall uh, and of course wanted to time it uh, the sort of publication of the project with uh, the middle of March 2022, two years later. Thanks, Tom. Um, and I'll come back to those oral histories in a second, but where were you in March 2020? And this is a question for everyone. And What was the atmosphere like at the Skift offices or just in general? So we were um, in our offices, um, obviously going to office. We had an office uh, midtown Manhattan that um, at that point were about 60 plus people in the company, about 40 or so were in the New York area. They used to come into office, almost all of us daily. And so we were um, early. The, 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 we were early in, in understanding the gravity of the situation a little bit than, than, than maybe some of the other non-travel businesses, primarily because we were focused on covering the business of travel because China played and will continue to play such an outsized role in the global travel sector and the movement of Chinese travelers is such an important thing for the global travel industry that's developed over the last last 10, 15 years. As soon as uh, Wuhan uh, hit and as soon as China started shutting down, we knew it was going to get bad, obviously had some context with some of the previous pandemics from the region, um, but didn't obviously have an understanding of it becoming this big. So in our office, um, you know, in our company, we started looking at, you know, us as a company ourselves and our finances and how it affect us, obviously, knowing that it would affect the travel industry and obviously 100% of our revenues come from this industry. And so everything from how do we cut expenses, stop the new hires, I think we had about six or seven hires that we were hiring at that point, which for, for 
a company the size of us, about six, 60 people, we're hiring 10% more people. So that's a quite a large number uh, for us. And um, I remember as March was coming, it increasing, I <clears throat> increasingly became clear that that I think we're in this transition period where the offices are going to shut down. And so I bought, I remember I bought um, uh, the hand sanitizers for the office. I bought like- I remember that well. 40 giant bottles, hug. you were there. Yeah, these giant 40 bottles from Target before they became such a precious commodity. And uh, um, guess what? I still have like 25 of those sitting in my house because uh, we <laughs> haven't used them. And as I think people realized later in science, um, more science came out that it's not, you don't really get COVID from touched surfaces in general as much as you would get from human to human contact. So some of those things we did in our office, try to figure out, and we thought we were going to be gone for a bit and then come back at some point. Obviously that also, that notion also changed pretty quickly as well. So there was a sense of panic as, as much as, you know, there was panic everywhere else. Um, the, one place where we knew we were not going to panic and sort of learned along the way, and Tom will talk more about this, and Dennis will talk more about this, is editorial. Because we knew this was, pretty quickly we realized this was going to be the story of our lifetimes. Or at least in our industry, this was going to be the story of our lifetimes. Um, and so we pretty quickly adjusted to that. So Tom and Dennis, who were there then, and Lily, who joined later, uh, if you want to talk about that. Sure. So, I mean, that's, you know, the big story is the big story for journalists. And that's, that's why we do what we do. And we just reacted, we just went into sort of a focused mode to cover the stories. I had also, um, that month had two new hires start on the same day, our <clears throat> corporate travel editor, who was then based in London, Matt Parsons and Cameron Spirance, who is our hospitality hotels reporter. Uh, based in Boston, started on the same day. So they, <clears throat> so I was dealing with two new reporters going into the thick of this this larger story. Lily joined us um, later, so they're you know who's on the on the on the podcast with us today. So, but again, you know this this was just sort of like an automatic uh, instinct for us just to put our heads down and start figuring out what the what the important stories were that we needed to tell because the travel industry really was was sort of caught off guard and seeking answers and we felt like that's you know that's what we do we were there to provide information analysis dennis can you elaborate a little bit you I mean you yeah i was just gonna were, say that uh, even though the travel industry shut down we were busier than ever covering that shutdown as companies maneuvered to raise money and and they laid off employees and the, and and everyone was you know just trying out trying to figure out what to do right. you know so we really and our last our last day in the office was i mean i remember distinctly it was thursday march 11th which was the day that the, it was declared a global pandemic um I think there was a decision made on Rafat's part and some of the other senior leadership to, to close the office down and have everyone start to work from home, which for Skip was not was not a big shift because we had, you know, we were, I think prior to the pandemic, we were probably 50, 60% remote anyway. So um, unlike other companies that really had to adapt to, to working remotely, it was not a, not a big deal for us. And, uh, you know, we'd been on Zoom prior to when Zoom became a household name. So, uh, you know, we, that was not an issue for us uh, going forward. Lily, um, 
you're in the oral history and I learned you know, something about you from reading it uh, t- uh, this morning as, as a matter of fact. So tell us um, where you were in March, 2020. Sure. I was actually in Ethiopia and I had planned this like dream trip back home to my birthplace. I hadn't been back in like 19 years. And um, I think, you know, I, I was in sort of denial because I remember that when I landed in Addis in the capital, I remember seeing um, airport staff in like full PPE gear already and like pulling travelers aside and asking questions. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is, this is strange. Is it that serious? You know, and then then just kind of blocking it out and going on my tour <laughs> of northern Ethiopia. Um, and I think it was about, you know, 10 days in. This was supposed to be a three-week trip. And uh, 10 days in, I after the news and all that, I realized, okay, maybe I should cut my trip short because the possibility I could get stuck here. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, it's an experience that I think just it's so, um, it's so emotional on many levels. So I, I caught my, my tour and I went to, to, you know, catch an earlier flight and I was literally about to board my plane uh, when I got the call from my husband that the Dominican Republic was shutting its borders and I was on my way back. And I was uh, basically too late by like, I don't know, 12 hours, maybe <laughs> 14 hours. Um, and I had no way to figure out what I would do next. You know, I was about to board this 15 hour nonstop flight on Ethiopian Airlines. And I was stuck for 15 hours thinking, just, you know, all sorts of thoughts in my head about what's next, what am I going to do? I'm going to reroute my flight. I got to book a hotel. I got to call my parents. Like, it was just um, pretty insane. I wasn't even thinking about work. At that point, I was a consumer travel journalist. Um, so I, I wasn't even thinking about how that would impact my work yet, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I also distinctly remember JFK being a complete ghost town. You ended up in a situation like a lot of folks stranded with with your parents. Yes, uh, I mean I'm actually I'm very fortunate that I have my parents to go to. You know, I, I know folks who didn't have anyone and they were just stuck in the middle of nowhere. But um, yeah, at least I stayed with my parents for like three months, <laughs> which I hadn't done since like I don't know, I don't remember the last time. One of the things we were covering early on um, was ju- the the customer service. Um, crush and the crushes probably you know whatever the biggest phrase you can come up with is 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 underplaying it because this imagine millions and millions and millions of people around the world trying to change their change cancel get refunds we went through it ourselves as a company we were end of march we had skiff forum europe um in madrid and we had already i think most of us who were going had booked our tickets so we had to get our refunds ourselves we had a company retreat plan in Puerto Rico. A um, bunch of us had already booked flights for that as well. We're about to sign the hotel. So um, the, the, the big, and it's, it's reflected in the oral history, one of the big lessons that um, I think the travel industry learned is, um, you know, we always, travel industry has for decades talked about resilience. And the reality is it's not resilient. There's, and it's, you know, the, it is the softest of softest underbellies of all industries, I would say, um, in, in all of business. And is that because I, of interdependence? It is because of, exactly, that's a great, great uh, point. 
it's just because of how it's structured and how it's used by leaders and politicians as a way to open or close or anytime any of the political agendas or geopolitical agendas come in, travel is either the first to be sacrificed or open. Typically, it's always moves in the wrong direction most of the times. Um, in this case, obviously, it was necessary to close travel in so many for all the reasons that we've covered for, you know, at this point, two, three, half years. But we the the other thing that that got exposed is how un, understaffed and under tech, how little tech utilization in general is there for customer service. A lot of people to do it themselves. Like DIY customer service has taken over in a lot of other industries or at least is in advanced phases in travel hasn't been just because the dollar amounts are higher and the tech is antiquated um this is obviously a broad general statement but uh but all of us covered this dennis or dennis i don't know if you remember any instances of of stories that you wrote on online travel because all of the otas were hammered i remember right. back then right yeah this is dennis so um yeah the otas were hammered um you know, Airbnb refunded guests unilaterally and, and left their hosts uh, pretty much high and dry. Uh, they all went out and they raised money. Expedia raised a couple hey, of billion. De Airbnb Dennis, talk a little. One of the people that we talked to for this oral history is Peter Kern, who is now the CEO of Expedia, uh, right. who I believe was the vice chairman at the time in March 2020. Can you talk a little bit about what Peter told you about his experiences in March, Dennis? I think cool. it's... Uh, illuminating. Yeah, one of the things is um, the uh, the labor intensive nature of trying to raise money. Like it, you know, you think, you know, you call up the bankers, you do some deals. It takes a couple of weeks. It was it was an uh, you know an exhaustive process, uh, according to him. But one of, one of the things I, there, there's so many takeaways from this oral history. Um, there there was indeed some flexibility in business models, and I think one of the lessons is. Um, that and financial engineering won the day. So I, I really liked what uh, Lini Oberg of Marriott, the Marriott CFO, said in this oral history. She said, uh, I know our model really well, and it's an extraordinarily resilient model with a lot of flexibility. Our ability to flex on investments, our ability to flex on expenses, our ability to kind of manage our cash as best we could and reduce our cash outflows. I really had total faith that we would get through this but just didn't know how big of a price it would pay. And then there was Trivago, which amazingly didn't even have to raise any money. And then regarding flexibility, um, Airbnb was among the most flexible, uh, switching faster than anyone to um, emphasizing long-term stays uh, much faster than some of their competitors did. Right. I also think one of the things that we wanted to capture in this oral history is sort of the personal nature for the people in the, the travel industry. Uh, and if you, you know, if our audience reads this oral history, you will see some candor that maybe they don't see in our day-to-day -day coverage from executives and other workers in the travel industry expressing their fears and anxieties. And uh, it just has a very personal feel to it, which uh, I think captures that month perfectly. Uh, I want to back up a little bit. Um, talk, uh, you mentioned um, some of the other oral histories that Skift has done in online travel and boutique hotels. Rafit, you mentioned it in your introduction. Um, obviously, this is an important topic and one that needs to be discu uh, discussed. 
But why now? Why so close to the event? These other oral histories yeah. are happening usually years or decades later. Yeah, well, the history has definitely sped up in the last two years, that's for sure, right? I mean, it felt like decades. I mentioned in the story when we did the, in my essay, that when we did the oral histories, the other two oral histories, there were decades of, in a span of decades. And certainly what we went through in the last two years, the industry went through in the last two years, the world went through in the last two years, felt like decades of lessons. So, um, I mean, certainly if we do this 10 years, at like the 10th anniversary of March 2020, in March 2030, the lessons would be more long range, if you will. Um, the lessons now are important because we're just coming out of the pandemic. And Lily, you've written a lot about this um, in terms of let's not forget the lessons of what the last two years brought and let's carry that for this, particularly during the tourism industry. Um, when we, Dennis, you were talking about how the these larger companies were resilient but i bet if you speak to anybody else outside of the larger um uh, larger companies so much of pain that destinations went through they would not call themselves resilient at all and so it's interesting how much there's a bifurcation that we all knew it just sort of got exposed in so many ways vaccine equity that lily has written extensively about over the last two years um certainly over the last year and so all of these things that there was a there was the large companies and then there was the rest of that right and i just think that travel in march 2022 is ready to take off you know we're seeing recovery we're seeing signs of recovery and everyone's ready to just kind of move forward but i think it's important to have this pause and kind of look back and recount the history just to remind ourselves i mean on the calendar it's two years but it's certainly for a lot of people in the industry, there's been so much packed in those two years that it feels like 10, 15 years. So I think it's important to pause and kind of look at this and, and what Rafit said, you know, remind ourselves of how we need to change and how we need to be better. Lily, you could probably talk to the impact on, on destinations because like Rafat said, I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of this, who would emerge stronger? And, and, and like you mentioned, Rafat, the big companies with the connections they raise money, but Lily, like the destinations and, and, and tourism business were hammered, right? Yeah, I think what's been interesting for me to see is is just, um, as Rafa was saying, you know, there's this let's build back better um, thought that emerged immediately after, you know, the pandemic during that pause. And then um, it's continued to grow, you know, over the last year and a half. And so it's really amazing to see a lot of the destinations that are now confronting the issues that they, you know, that had been pushed aside, um, such as, you know, obviously climate change, sustainability. Um, what does it even mean to have tourism in your community? How is it impacting your community? Uh, you know, we're seeing tourism boards that are running, you know, sentiment surveys and focus groups for the first time ever, which is pretty incredible when you think about it, how long they've been having you know, huge volumes of visitors. And, and so that's, that's stayed on and that's continued, which I think is, is pretty impressive and particularly from the US side, um, Canada uh, and European destinations. And so the conversation has continued and now we're, I feel like we're at another sort of turning point where it's now about action and, and accountability and, you know, an even more focused look at, okay, now who's, who's been doing something about this, you know? So it's another really important moment. I think we're about to, 
to begin, especially with everything that's going on around the world and instability, uncertainty. Um, I feel like the, the destinations are embracing that now, beginning to realize it's, it's never going to feel the same again. But then how do we move forward from here? So It's noted in this oral history and has been noted many times, Scott Kirby um, was one of the first major travel executives to sort of ring the alarm bells about the pandemic. Um, did it on March 5th uh, in front of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, almost two weeks before we started shutting down here in the West. Um, how did he get it right? And what did you think when you heard him say that on March 5th? Well, I guess uh, United has business in China. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't recall his, you know, what I thought when he said that on March 5th. But, um, you know, so, so businesses that were exposed to China uh, tended to have, uh, you know, early warning signals. Like, for example, in the, uh, in the oral history, I like what uh, Mark Cuscieri, VP at uh, Global Business Travel Association, said. I mean, everyone was pretty much in a state of disbelief. So he said, when this all kicked off in Asia, at the time we thought, okay, they tend to have more dramatic situations in that region, like typhoons. I was getting involved in supporting my team in the region, and then we didn't dismiss it. We thought it's regional. It's not going to go further. So, I mean, like we've said before, there's one lesson from this uh, pandemic is that uh, we live in a very, very, very connected world, whether it's COVID or the Ukraine or whatever. Right. And I think I think Kirby, the CEO of the United, was trying to manage expectations early on. Uh, in terms of his investors and shareholders and so forth and analysts in Wall Street. Um, unlike maybe some of his competitors, I think he wanted to get in front of it and manage those expectations downward um, in case there might be some surprises come April or, or May and what maybe he thought was going to be a, a faster recovery from this, which, it, of course, it didn't happen. So I've heard a few times uh, in this answer and even with the answer to why Skift uh, anticipated this maybe ahead of some other folks. And it was a connection to China and Asia Pacific and having had those experiences with SARS, uh, avian flu, et cetera. Is it, does that seem fair? Yeah, we, and also we early on, I remember Tom and I talking, because uh, I went up to his desk, this was still in the office, uh, and, and early on saying that I don't think we should do too much comparison between what's happening now and SARS or avian flu and others only, or, or like the 2008 financial crisis, um, right. which, which obviously was worldwide for most part. Right. Um, but early on, we, we, we did some stories on like, I know research, our research groups did some research report early on comparing those two, but pretty quickly in the, and the travel industry and the oral history reflects it, realized that none of the previous uh, crises is, are uh, are good comparisons just because they're right. they're going to pale in comparison. And there was a tendency to look at nine eleven as well, Rafik, to come out, you know, and say, all right, Correct. so how did the airlines recover from nine eleven versus this? And um, the the pandemic was just its own its own entity. It in has terms a different structure and it was so global. And the fact that travel was the vector for this to the or the movement of humans was a vector for this to spread around the world unfortunately is what why travel was in such a spotlight in this whole last two years and why it was it was and still is the most effective sector of all and the truth is I think that um, the, the travel industry you know 
recovered much faster after the financial crisis. This is a much more prolonged journey and, uh, you know, who, who knows where it goes from here. And there's no linearity in it, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, now Hong Kong is having the worst uh, outbreak. Right. Uh, China is having such a bad outbreak or at least putting the restrictions on. So there's no linearity in anything. And that's- I also part. think what's interesting is that, I mean, and Rafa's been saying this since he created Skiff, that the travel industry is a bellwether for the global, the global economy and global business that, what happens first usually happens with travel. And it's just been interesting to see how true that is with this pandemic, how much we can learn from travel's challenges, uh, you know, failures and, you know, some successes during the pandemic and how that, uh, you know, is reflected in sort of the larger economy and other larger corporations. Travel is the canary in the coal mine. I, I like that. Um, so I'll give everyone a chance here to maybe end on a positive note. Um, do we see any truly positive lessons, uh, I don't know, outcomes from, from the pandemic? What do we have to look forward to, et cetera? Um, while everybody else is, is, uh, putting on the thinking, thinking, uh, thinking cap, um, obviously a lot of, a lot of, I think, good lessons, whether they implemented is, is another thing. But as I think Lily said, just this awareness, particularly at the local level of why uh, neighborhoods are important, why if you take out a slightly larger area, why why then local regions, why domestic tourism, why small business is important to, in this case, travel. Um, and we've said this all along, um, is like the, 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 the one thing that did save many parts of the travel industry in different parts of the world, particularly the U.S., is just the the resurgence of domestic travel. And so if we can can continue traveling as the world will continue to travel, no matter what I feel, um, but in a more responsible and at least in a a smaller geographic area more than the larger geographic world, um, you know, it's, 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 it hits many of the issues in terms of climate change, having a smaller carbon footprint, supporting local businesses, being more connected to your neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera. So I do feel maybe by 2025, we'll have a better sense of this if some of these lessons that we came out were actually taken and then implemented. So, Jose, I would I would point to our mega trends that we put out every January. I mean. Some years it's a it's a it's a struggle to come up with with new megatrends, but this year I felt like we had the best list we've had at least since I've been at Skiff, and I feel like that uh, that sort of dynamic uh, you know generation of ideas and change uh, is rooted in the pandemic. So I I take that as a positive coming out of this. I'm trying to to be upbeat and and say that um, some of that is reflected in the megatrends that we put together. Um, and we're already seeing some of those uh, coming true. I mean, we, we're writing about week to week. We're writing about some of the some of the ideas that we had in megatrends that are being implemented by companies. So um, I'll take a, I'll take that as a positive. And the whole feeling, you know, the whole work from home. And I think people have, um, as part of that, people have come to appreciate life and and you know friends and family more. You know, 
go outside and feel the sunshine, smell a flower. It's, you know, I love Skift, but it's not about work 24 hours a day. You know, Dennis, uh, why don't you tell us about your personal uh, your personal transition during the? Uh, nobody's interested in that, but yeah, I'm in a place that I love, and um, I just enjoy every single day here. I love my work. I, I love my life here. Uh, it's beautiful, and and I think that's that's true for a lot of people in the world, you know, that are lucky enough. But but even if you're not lucky enough to be able to be untethered, as they say. Um, there is just much more of a, of a feeling of appreciation for the things that are really important in life. Yeah, Naledi Cabo from uh, African Tourism Association, uh, Lini Oberg, a few, a few people said that exact thing, the time to stop and smell the flowers. Yeah, uh, if I can add that, I think for me, what the greatest thing that's come out of this whole thing is that um, it's brought out the humanity in, in the industry, within the industry itself, in that, you know, even CEOs now are receptive to anyone's emails and everyone's collaborating and everyone's interested in knowing people they haven't met before. Um, I hadn't seen that sort of collaboration in a really long time. And I think that it's also pointing to um, more accountability when it comes to diversity and equity um, you know, those conversations being a lot more open now than it's ever been, um, you know, in a meaningful way, you know, and it takes time, obviously, to change behaviors. But I think that it's come a really long way. And I think that it's opened the door for opportunity for more folks who had been really kept on the margins of the travel industry, um, despite having, you know, all the all the voice and qualifications. Um, and I do also want to say that, you know, um, we've come a long way, but it's not over. And so I think that the travel industry still has a really important role to play in vaccine equity. Um, you know, we could have come out of this much earlier if if we had had the, the gumption and leadership, you know, the companies to demand, you know, that vaccines be more equally available to all, um, which is what we're seeing now with the outbreaks that Rafa mentioned in Hong Kong, et cetera. So there's good, and, and I think there's also some challenges still, <laughs> huge ones. Thank you to Rafit, Tom, Dennis, and Lily for taking the time from their very busy schedules to discuss this oral history with me. You can read the full oral history and hear select audio from the participants right now at skift.com. Safe travels.